we are extremely grateful to be back with our family today. Had some good time, had some good rest and relaxation with family enjoying. And I'm praying you enjoyed your holiday season. Some people are out and enjoying it all the more still yet today. Grateful to all of our staff. Here you go, Brooke, for the day. Oh, thank you. Uh, all the people, you praise them, y'all can go down. Uh, all the people. They are faithful, y'all. They don't move until I say move. And I didn't tell them to do that. I'm not making them do that. They're just that faithful. And we're grateful for, for that. Uh, had some great rest and relaxation to be able to spend some time with family. Family matters. Family is important. Uh, God instituted the family before he instituted anything else. It was right before the turn of, of, of the first century uh, B.C. that God uttered the words. Jesus uttered the words, upon this rock I build my church. But long before he had done that, in the annals of history, God took Adam and he put him together with Eve, and they made a family. Family is important to God, and we're so glad to see you, our, our church family, here today. Uh, that prayer that's in there, I don't know if you realize what they're saying when they're doing that. They're saying, let us become more aware of your presence. Why is that? That's because some people miss out. Do you know that? We serve a God that is what we call theologically omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere at the same time. But here's the deal. Just because, have you ever been in the room and not have been aware that the lights were off and somebody wasn't in the room and you're in the room and you feel like you're by yourself? Sometimes that's what it's like when we go about and we live our own everyday lives and we get caught up in trying to make money, trying to make kids, trying to make family and all those things. And we might miss the presence of somebody in the room. And many of us, can you be honest, we try to make money, we try to make friends, we try to make status. And oftentimes we've missed the presence of God. And God is always in the room, especially congregated among the body of believers that when we're here, God's presence is here. And I don't want to be ever in a space where I see other people raising their hands. I see other people crying. I see other people praising and other people feeling the presence of God. And I feel like I'm in the room alone by myself. So it's wonderful that we can be made aware of your presence. So somebody say this today, Lord, make me aware of your presence. Lord, help me experience your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the last of our sermon series. For those of you who are thinking about becoming a member, I think we did about eight or nine people last time. Our new members' courses uh, are going to start next Sunday at 9 a.m. Next Sunday at 9 a.m., Brother Ernie is great at teaching those courses. Uh, he's one of our pastors here, and he'll be teaching the new members' course uh, for the next four weeks starting in January at, uh, excuse me, at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Don't show up because Brother Ernie won't be here at 9. At 10 a.m. Uh, men, guys, I'm planning something for the guys, but I want to make sure we have uh, buy-in before we do it, and we'll probably be starting that th uh, coming up in the upcoming month uh, for just for the men. Everybody say, just for men. This is going to be just for the guys, but the guys have to show that they wanted to, and we're going to give it to them. A lot of good things going on. We already have our first baptism scheduled for 2024. Uh, God is moving, and we're starting our new sets of communion services. God is moving all around. He's organizing and directing. We've got people in place. You're about to see some good things. You guys ready for the word? All right, stand for the reading of the word of God. Uh, I'm going to read quite a few scriptures today because we need to do something. Uh, we need to establish some things. And uh, this is the last installment of our No Offense series as God prepares us for another series. Be, per be in prayer. Uh, we are going into a season of 
prayer and fasting. This is what I do not need you to do. If you're not going to be in the season, we do not need you to announce that you're not going to be in the season. Do not announce that you're not praying and fasting. That's fine if you're not, but we don't want you to discourage or, or convince people who are on the fence that are that they shouldn't. This is going to be a season of prayer and fasting coming starting the 8th, and it's not just us. It'll be an international fast with our church with over 2 million people in 136 different countries. We will all be praying and fasting over prayer objectives at the same time. You'll be able to get that. If we do not have your email, give us your email. You'll be receiving a... Uh, email from our communications department to keep in line with what's going on here and to get people better connected with our online and especially with our newsletters that they work so hard to get out and keep you connected. It's good to be connected as a family. Numbers chapter 20 starting at verse 1 through 12. Numbers 20, 1 through 12, um, the reading of the word of God. We're going to preach today if the Lord allows. If you pray, I'll preach. What does it say? Then the children of Israel the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zion hmm. in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Hmm. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died with our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the, us up to the assembly of the Lord and to this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Oh, wow. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring to us this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brothers, Aaron, uh, at the congregation, together speak the rock before the eyes <laughs> thus you shall bring water from them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded and Moses and Aaron gathered together them the assembly therefore the rock before the rock and he said to them here now you rebels must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hands and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to the Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. We'll speak to you today from this topic and the other topics if you'll pull the name of the sermon on the screen for us. What's today's topic? Helium. You may be seated in the presence of God. Pastor, that's an odd thing to preach at church. God, speak. Your servants listen and we'll be careful to give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There is a element, um, a scientific element, a gas that we use all the time in American culture. 
It's called helium. Helium's an element and it has a symbol, an atomic symbol that we know that there are these things called atoms and we're not gonna get into too much of a science lesson, but you have protons and neutrons that exchange and they do certain things and they make certain gases and certain materials. God has made it to where all of us have a chemical makeup, but helium is something that's been on my mind as I've been studying this passage. And why has helium been on my mind? Because number one, it's colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless and it's non-toxic, which makes it great to use among people and if in just in case you didn't know how people use the gas helium some people use it and they blow it across their throat to make their voice sound like 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 they're a miniature person or something like that or me I wanna hula hoop that type of stuff uh, but but the main thing I remember about helium is being a little kid and the sadness that helium caused me because helium would bring me joy because they would bring in balloons and guess what they were filled with they were filled with helium and because they were filled with helium and they were lighter than everything around it when you fill something with helium it begins to what rise which is great on your birthday and special occasions when you get balloons until you walk outside on a windy day <laughs> and you walk outside with your favorite balloon and you thought everything would be great and all of a sudden the wind comes in and you weren't expecting to secure your balloon because there was something on the inside of it that could take flight and all of a sudden you watch your balloon rip from your hand and slowly as tears roll down your eyes as a kid, somebody's getting PTSD from this, you watch your balloon fly away. And no matter what you do, no matter how hard you cry, the balloon just keeps going forward and you can never get it back. Helium is one of those elements that teaches us a powerful lesson in life that something should be held on to rather than release. Because once you release them, this is a principle, you cannot get them back. We have a form of helium in our lives, and they are called words. In this no offense series, words are easy when the winds and the troubles of life come by you to float out of your mouth. But once you float them out and they are received by somebody else, it's hard and impossible, if any, to get them there are people right now sitting in prison systems because they did a crime of passion, because they created an act based out of passion. And although you might not have done it on a normal day, once you created the action based off of your passions, if the action is done and you can't get it back. Some of those people might be good people. Some of those people might be some of the people that you love that, that allowed one moment of offense to make them make a mistake in their life that cost them the rest of their life. And today we look at somebody named Moses. Moses is a prolific figure in the Bible. Moses is one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. Moses was raised underneath one of the most powerful kingdoms of his day in the kingdom of Egypt. And he was raised in the Pharaoh's house. So he knew every level. He could be in the proper space. He could be in the middle space. Moses had plenty of experience. And Moses was somebody who had the favor of not just men, 
But even after he'd done some things and had to go into exile, God used Moses with all of his skills to lead his people out of Egypt and lead them into freedom out of all the 400 years of bondage and all the people who lived throughout those 400 years. God chose Moses to lead his people out of bondage. Moses was not just any man. Moses was a man's man. Moses was a leader of leaders. He was a great statesman. He was a great prolific person that knew the law and how law should be established. It was Moses that went up into the mountain and brought down the tablets of the law of God. It is Moses that gives the Ten Commandments that we know today. He brought those from the Lord. And even today, in the most powerful country in the world, if you go to one of our most powerful branches, the seat of, of the Supreme Court, if you look up at the top of the Supreme Court, sitting on the front of the building, in the middle of the building, is Moses. Even in the United States of America, Moses still has influence. 3,500 years later, Moses is somebody that many people would want to be. And even when people got ready to speak to Moses, this is what's said of Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. It says, then he said, hear my words now. God is talking to, to Moses' siblings because they're having a squabble. He says, God is saying, hear my words now. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. In other words, even if it's a prophet, I come in a vision. I don't come in person. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. <laughs> he is faithful in all my house. He is faithful in all my house, and I speak to him face to face even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant? Moses is not just any old body. We even see in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Miriam and Aram spoke against uh, Moses because of the Ethiopian, the African woman whom he had married. Moses married an African woman? Yes, he did. And he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? They didn't like who he married, so, so they, they, they started squabbling. You married that African lady. Now we're going to talk. And they, they don't know, scholars do not know what whether this is a second wife or if, if it's his first wife, Zipporah, because Zipporah was of Midian, so Zipporah was, was a Cushite, which means she was black too. They didn't like Moses' choice of wives. <laughs> and so they started to squabble over Moses and say, he don't make good choices. Look, he picked that black woman to marry. I, I told you he didn't make good choices. And Miriam and Aaron begin to go against Moses. And what does God say? He says, has, they say, has the Lord indeed spoken through Moses? He has, has he not spoken to us all? And the Lord heard it. <laughs> and he was angry. And they got struck with leprosy. But I want you to pay attention to verse 3. It says this. Now read it with me. Now the man, Moses, was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Amen. See, people falsely assume that you got to be macho and you got to have a whole bunch of power to be good leaders. But sometimes the best leaders are humble people. 
Because to be a good leader, you have to be a servant. I'm making the case for Moses today because when we look at Moses, we have to realize that we're not just talking about any old everyday individual. Yes, he is flesh and blood like we are, but it is even Moses that after he had gone to heaven, that when Jesus came on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were two prophets that showed up from the other side to talk with Jesus. And can you guess who one of them was? Moses. God had a lot of stock in Moses, but Moses has been under a lot of stress. Moses has had a tough life. Moses hasn't had a perfect life. Moses' name means drawn out, for he was drawn out of the water because uh, everybody that was his counterpart was killed. All He didn't have any kindergarten class because Pharaoh killed everybody that was Moses' age, so much so that his mother had to put him into a basket uh, and send him down the Nile with the hippo and the crocodile. And watched beyond the reeds as Pharaoh's daughter pulled him out of the water. And he's raised in Pharaoh's house and just to learn that he's not Egyptian at all, that he's having an identity crisis. And now Moses has an identity crisis and he's looking from a point of aristocracy on these slaves, now realizing that he himself has come from these slaves. He can't tell anybody he's come from these slaves. And now he sees an Egyptian whipping a slave. Now, he's caught between two worlds. He's caught between two worlds, but he allowed, he could have probably found a better way to do it. But what Moses does, he, because he's frustrated, he allows his anger to take the better of him. And Moses decides to kill the Egyptian and hide his body. But he was seen. And that small mistake of offense that he was offended and how he reacted caused Moses to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert because he had to run as a fugitive. But God has a plan. Everybody say God has a plan. There's somebody who might think that you've lost some of your life in jail. You weren't losing your life in jail. God was preparing you where you were for your next. He couldn't get, a, get your attention like he needed to get your attention. So he put you in a place where you couldn't listen to nobody but him. And when he had Moses on the backside of the desert and he was nowhere else to be found, he looked up on a mountain and out of the mountain Moses saw a burning bush. And in that bush, God said, I've got you on the other side. I've taken away all the glory of Egypt. I've stripped away your cars and your rims. I've stripped away your clothes. I've stripped away all your fancy things. I've stripped away all the pretty women around you. And now you're out here with women who tend the sheep and smell like sheep. And now that all the trappings of the world have don't lo no longer have your attention and you're way out in the country and there's no social media for you to get distracted by, I know I'm going to put myself in a place where I can be seen and noticed by you and he notices the bush that is burning and God says I have a plan for you I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him that the 400 years of oppression of my people are over that he is to release them and he says Lord I cannot do that who am I to do that and God shows him mighty wonders he says let me show you who I am Moses stick your hand in your shirt and he sticks his hand in his robe and when he pulls it back out it's leprous and leprosy is a, a disease that is fatal nobody lives from leprosy and he said stick it back in and when he stuck it back his hand was clean again what he's trying to say is there's nothing that I can't do. 
He says, Moses, I need you to go before me. I need you to tell my people. And Moses is full of excuses. I've come to tell somebody, leave excuses in 2023. There's no room for excuses in the year where God is leading us into expectation. The, the, the word for 2024 is what, saints? Expectation. And if that's our word and we're expecting the great, there is no room for excuses. God, so but Moses has plenty of them, and he says this. He said, "Lord, I got a problem. I, why? I, because I stutter, and I can't, I can't speak real well. Although I know all these things, I have a speech impediment." And he he tells him, "I'll take care of that. You just go where I sent you." He said, "Lord, even in that, they serve many gods in Egypt. They have Isis, and they have all of these other gods, and Amun Ra, and all these people, and they're going to want to know in which name God did I come? Because Pharaoh himself." It's thought to be a God in Ra, the son of the sun. And who shall I say sent me? And he says these words to Moses, Eye, Asha, Eye, which means in Hebrew, I am that I am. Or a better translation is, I will be what I will be. In other words, stop asking me stuff and realize I'm going to be whatever you need. I'll be whatever you need, Moses. So it is that this Moses has grabbed the attention of the God of the universe. And God has decided that he's going to use this Moses, but God left something out of the fine print. He signed up Moses for a church, and now Moses has gone, and he's, he's gone through pulling the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, and now this is the thing. Moses has signed the dotted line, and now that he signed the dotted line, he didn't know about his congregation, Brother Dave. Oh, he had a wild congregation. <laughs> Moses' congregation was very rebellious. Moses' congregation sounded like an American congregation. Because all they did was do nothing and complain. <laughs> they complained about everything and did absolutely nothing. And they were impatient. They could not wait on their leader. Moses went to the top of the mountain to hear from the Lord. And by the time they were back, they had gone back to worshiping the gods that, that they left, even though the God they had seen had split a sea for them. They had took all their gold and they went to church and they took all their gold and they gave it to a false god. They didn't take time to put, give it to the real one. They gave it to a false god. They're just like people today. They tithe to the lions and to the pistons. They tithe to the red wings. They don't tithe to church. They give their money to their gods. And they give what's left to church. These are the type of members that Moses had to deal with. So they're frustrated. They say, we don't have anything to drink. And the first time they said to God, said, go over there, hit that rock. And when you hit that rock, Water's going to come out. Water came out. My God helped fix the problem. Then they start saying, hey, we don't have anything to eat. And God says, I'll tell you what you do. Just tell them to go to bed in the morning. And when they wake up in the, in, in the morning, they're going to have some, some flakes on the ground. Pick up those flakes and make food for it. And don't be greedy. Only get what you can take and what you need. And what did they do? They took some, and then they didn't want to get up, so they took more. And that started getting worms in it. They wouldn't follow directions. And here's Moses. I went to God. God has brought you... Think about this. God has sent 
All these plagues, 10 plagues, God has sent and worked through me. He's turned staffs into snakes and rivers into blood and brought down fire from heaven. Done all these things. He split the sea for you. He's done all these things for you. And all you do is complain. Sometimes pastors feel like that, huh? How many times has the pastor felt like I've been to jail to see you? I've been here when your marriage was busted up. I've done this and did that for you. I went to see you when you were sick. I stayed up counseling you for hours and hours, even though you went and did exactly what I told you not to do. And all you do is come. I wish we had younger people at our church. I wish we had more money. I wish we had this. I wish pastor didn't preach too long. I wish the praise thing had this. I wish we had a bigger band. We need a bigger band. How much you, how, 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 how are you tithing? We're not tithing. We don't give. Well, how are they going to get a bigger band? How are they going to pay for it? That stuff costs money. I'm not talking about I'm church. I'm talking about church in general. People are always complaining but never contributing. And this is what's going to get on Moses' nerves. He's become offended. Do you not know that pastors quit every, every year, every month, every week, and every day? Why? Because they have become offended that they give their lives for people that won't give anything. They give everything to show up every Sunday and Wednesday for people to make mistakes, make excuses why they can't come. Most of them by vocational and they have jobs and they sit and watch people tell them, I got to work and I can't show up. Most of them have children and they, lit and, lit and they have by vocational with children and they watch people with just one job and one child say, I got all this stuff and I can't come. Moses is frustrated. Moses is angry. And he's building it all up inside. He doesn't have anybody to talk to, <laughs> but his brother Aaron, and to be honest, sometimes his brother is the problem. <laughs> because they couldn't have crafted the golden calf had it not been for his brother. He wants somebody to go to and have help. And every now and then you'll see in Exodus 18, he has some counsel from his father Jethro. But for the most part, Moses can't even marry a woman without criticism. He has the respect of God, but not the respect of his peers. He is angry. And even after he brings down manna from heaven, you would think if you walked outside and there was edible things that fell from the sky, you wouldn't complain no more. <laughs> but not Moses' congregation. No, no, they, they, they were another congregation. And, and after they got the bread, they said, we tired of eating this bread. <laughs> We want some meat, Moses. Moses didn't complain, but you can imagine Moses by this time is ready to bust somebody's head to the white meat. Moses is upset. He has a group of complaining people that want everything and will give nothing, wants him to sacrifice everything, and they will sacrifice nothing. And Moses goes to God, and he says this, God, they're complaining that you have meat. And God sends down quail to feed them, even in their complaining. And Moses had not dealt with this bickering for a short stint. I've been here about five years. These five years have been pretty, pretty well. But Moses had dealt with this congregation for 39 years. 39 years of complaining. 39 years of excuses. 
39 years of doing everything by himself. He set some people out. Jethro told him, you're going to kill yourself, Moses. He had no help. In Exodus 18, you'll see his, it takes his father-in-law to say, you need to create some organization. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> and now here it is, after all these things, we realize that, if, that we've been studying in the Bible that Moses, the children of Israel, stay in the wilderness how long? 40 years. We are on year 39, and Moses does not know it. They took 40 years to take an 11 days journey. Do you know it would, took, it would have taken them 11 days to get from where they were until where God was taking them, but because they were rebellious, because they would not listen, because they would not heed instruction, because they did not honor authority, because they wanted to do it their way. They took an 11-day trip and turned it into 40 years. Stop blaming the man because you stuck and start looking at the man in the mirror. Oh, Jesus. If you can't say amen, say, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Somebody who ain't been in a minute might say, I, I, I needed to wait till next Sunday. <laughs> That's how we grow. And here it is on year 39. Moses doesn't know this. We know this because we're on the other side of the story. Moses is almost to the promised land, but he's had enough. And after all the things that he's done, they come to Moses and they start complaining. And that's where we opened up our text in number chapters 20. After you talked about my wife, after you talked about my leadership skill, after I can't even go up and be with God for a minute and I come back and y'all in the club dropping it like it's hot and y'all y'all throwing parties and high and drunk and all these things. Can you imagine I left and I came back here and all of y'all had perp and weed and, 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 and Percocet and, and all sorts of things and orgies going on in the corner and all sorts of things. This is what Moses came back to in his church. Moses is a little frustrated. <laughs> is it safe to say Moses and had he's taken quite a few things? And that's why it says that when they complained, Moses and Aaron, they didn't get mad initially. Moses is frustrated, but he at least tried to go to God, but he didn't like what God said. God tells him something different. The first time God told him, strike the rock. But verse 7 says, then the Lord spake to Moses saying, take your rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together and speak. Everybody says speak. <laughs> speak requires you be nice. When you speak, that, in, that implies that you're not yelling. <laughs> That implies that your emotions are under what? Control. When you're angry, I had a friend tell us that years ago, the best thing to do is talk slow and low. Because if you do, when the, when the decibels start to raise, your ire starts to raise, and that's when bad things start to happen and things come out that you wish hadn't come out. God said, just go out there and speak to the rock. You ain't got to do nothing this time, Moses. I know they give you problems. Just go out there, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from them out of the rock and give to drink the congregation and their animals. Even in that, all the complaining, God said, just go ahead and take care of them. All you got to do is speak to them. Just go out there and keep a calm head. But what does Moses do? Verse 10, pull up verse 10. What does verse 10 say? Let's see how Moses handles this after 39 years of complaining. What does it say? And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, hear now, you rebels. That don't sound like speaking to me. <laughs> it sounds like Moses has had enough. And our sermon series has been talking about offense, right? 
And we talked about the fact that the word offense in the Bible, the, for those who may be listening online or haven't caught up, comes from the word scandalon, which is coming from the word that we get scandal, which is the bait of the trap, where a rat would be. It's a trap. It's something that reaches up literally and grabs you, and that if we don't learn how to deal with offense, offense will trap us, and it will build, build barriers around us and keep us trapped. And here it is. Moses has served these people for 39 years, and now he says, here now, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Now, first thing is, he's getting arrogant because it's not him doing it. It's God. See, when you get in your feelings, sometimes you forget who put you where you were. How many people have had marital problems and they start saying, I did this for you and you, I did this for you and this is how you're going to treat me? You didn't do anything. You couldn't do anything unless God did it. The problem is not just them, but the problem is that you become proud and arrogant and you forget who gave you the strength to make that money. You forget who gave you the will to go out and do what you did. You forget where you should be and where God could have left you and where he's put you now and you've gotten beside yourself and you've allowed let offense make you get a little crazy. Anybody ever been a little crazy? <laughs> Got up beside yourself and said, I pay the bills here. I cook the food here. I do this and I do that. And you take your eyes off of God and put them on yourself. And you get arrogant and proud and you offended. And, and when you're offended, you want to defend yourself and it becomes a trap. And I can assure you that the very next words that come out of your mouth are going to be something that you should not say. He says, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and he struck the rock twice. He, he couldn't get just one lick. He had to get it again. And the water came out. It solved the problem. But it created a problem for him. Yeah, you can yell at your wife to get your point across. You can beat your kids to get your point across. But the same thing that, that solves your problem may create another one for you. Because right after that, verse 12 says to this to Moses, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, you said you were bringing water out the rock. You didn't do it like I told you. You did it how you wanted to do. It's very dangerous to want to be a pastor because you can't do what you feel. Because you're not in charge. You're a servant. Your congregation are not your subjects. They're, they're people that you are serving. When you get beside yourself, it's not your job. I know you might be a business owner, but it's not your business. The people who work for you, if you're a Christian, you call to serve them. They are your boss. But if you get beside yourself and start talking any kind of way and treating them any kind of way, what may solve your problem will create another problem for you. And he said, because you did not hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this land assembly into the land that I have given them. In other words, you got to the end and you won't make it. You allowed other people to push you until you destroyed yourself. And your opportunity. You could have gone into the promised land. You've led these people all this time, but because you did not deal with offense properly, you didn't deal with being offended properly, it's going to cost you everything. 
Y'all see this? Pull up the first power principle for us. I'll read it. You can read it with me. What did it say? Overreaction to offense can cause you to miss out on opportunities and blessings. We should deal with offense before it builds a fence between us and our future. How many people had a bright future ahead of them? Promising athlete, promising scholar, went somewhere and was around some people. Somebody stepped on somebody's shoe or something crazy like that. Next thing you know, everybody's fighting. They defend themselves. Now they're in prison. Or you messed up and said the wrong thing or the wrong word at the wrong time and you said something to somebody that you love that cut them to the core and now it made you feel better for a second but y'all will never speak again. And you destroyed a relationship that you could have had for the rest of your life because you allowed the trap of offense to make you react and overreact. Can we be honest? Anybody ever done that? Everybody, huh? You said stuff that you wish you could take back and you allowed the sweetness of the trap to say it because when we can't hit people when it's illegal, we use our words and we try to find the most vicious words in the world. Women are the world's best at this. Men, we cannot match them. I'm going to tell you, ain't nothing more vicious than a woman and the smaller she is, the more vicious she is because she can take her words and make you feel like you this small. <laughs> She'll send a 200-pound man crying. There are different ways to use violence. She don't have to lift a hand, but she can destroy your manhood, and you just go over in the corner and, and lick your wounds. Fellas, pick your heads up. They won't know it's you. <laughs> but sometimes we as men do that. We say things to our wives and to our children that we don't realize are vicious, and if we step back and thought about it and pulled ourselves out of the situation, and I saw somebody saying to his wife or his child what I'm saying to mine, how would that make me feel? Would I be upset about it? If I saw them raising their voice and calling their kids dumb and stupid and acting like they ain't have no sense, would, that, would I look at them and say, that person sure is ignorant? That's what we do. But most times we should say, that person sure is me. Overreaction will steal the blessings of God from your life and cut off opportunities. Every person in this room has had an opportunity at one point or, uh, or another that you have wrecked with your mouth. You got in your feelings. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to cuss my boss out. Now you're unemployed. I hope it was worth it. I'm going to tell her she's going to do this or get out. I ain't taking it no more. Now you're alone. I hope it was worth it. I'm going to tell her this is my house and it's not my way or the highway. I'll knock you out and you're going to do because I brought you in this world and I'll take you out and now you're in the nursing home by yourself. Mm. Is this helping anybody this morning? Today, as we take a look at one of the greatest leaders on the face of the earth, 
we look at his most expensive mistake, fueled by anger and offense. That's why it's important to get your attitude and your anger under control. That's why it's important to pray and to fast and to consecrate and discipline yourself that you don't have to have food every time that your body says you want food. Because if I can control my stomach, which is one of the hardest things to control, I can maybe control some of my actions. And the Bible said no man could tame the tongue, but you can at least yield your body to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to tame you. This is helping me. I hope it's helping you. What would cause somebody like Moses to react so differently? We see he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And I know it because they put it in the Bible. That means everybody has a limit. Stop walking around to people talking, thinking you bad because you're going to run up on somebody that's nice. But they're nice for a reason. <laughs> because they know what it's like when they're not nice. And no matter how bad you think you are, you're running to somebody that's that much what? They honked their horn at you. They walked up. We were driving in Chicago the other day. And, and uh, me and my brother, we were coming from an event, uh, coming to do something. Somebody honked their horn at me in Chicago. And they rolled up next to me. <laughs> and they lifted up their hand, holy hands, minus some fingers, and looked at me and started yelling. And I was driving my brother's car. I looked over there and my brother said, I just turned around and kept on going. Why? Because it's Chicago. And no matter how bad you are, no matter how offended you are, you don't know what's in that car. We got to stop letting our own emotions hijack us. Helium. We let stuff loose that we can't get what? Pull up the next power principle. See, Moses had not dealt with some unresolved issues of his life. He had plenty of reasons to be offended, but he didn't deal with these things before in his life, and he acted impulsively, and he, he killed an Egyptian while thinking about it. I want you to think about this. Let's read this together. What does it say? Often when we have not trained or disciplined our flesh with prayer, fasting, and study of the word. Now, stop right there. Leave that on the screen. That's why you have undisciplined Christians, because nobody likes to pray. Nobody likes to fast, and nobody likes to study the word. Well, pastor, I pray, yeah, when you're going to sleep or when you're in trouble. But do you have a consistent, everybody say consistent. consistent. Do you have a consistent prayer life? Do you have a consistent fasting life? Do you have a consistent study life, or do you just read the Bible when you get time, or do you schedule other stuff around your Bible reading time? What do you make a priority? If you're going to change, your habits have to change. You can't have, oh, Jesus, thank you, Holy Ghost. Repeat after me. Expectation, Expectation. will not be manifested without adaptation. I'm going to say that one more time. Expectation will not be manifested without adaptation. You can expect something till the cows come home until you change who you are on the inside and change your behaviors. It's not coming. I don't care how much you tithe and how much you give. That's great. Do it. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you cry. I don't care how much you ate like we did across the holiday. That, that holiday 15 is not leaving until you adapt some behaviors. I don't care how much you tell them you sorry and they come back to you and then they leave and then they come back to you and leave. You're never going to have consistency in your relationship until you have consistency in yourself. 
My relationship always up and down. That's because your habits are up and down. Man, I, I, you know how many times, Brother Dave, I had somebody tell me, you know, when I was going to church, everything was going fine. And this stuff just got a little rocky. And I hit a rough patch where I didn't go. And, and, and things like, see, like all hell broke loose. And I can't tell them because I'm the pastor. Because once you let it go, you can't get it back. Have you correlated that when you got lazy with God, your world went to? Oh, Jesus. Could there be a correlation between what's going on in the inside of you and what's being produced on the outside of you? Oh, Jesus. We almost done. Y'all gonna make it. <laughs> we have to ignore an obvious truth that Moses reacted that way because he didn't, he allowed his feelings not to listen to God. God told him to do it one way. God told you to deal with that issue at your house, and he told you how to do it. And, but when you got there, you got angry. And he told you to talk to your child in a certain way, and your child talked to you wrong. They came with you wrong. They came with you incorrect. <laughs> they got a little disrespectful with you, and before you knew it, you were all up on them. <laughs> you might have solved the problem. They may be scared to do it again, but you can't ever take back what you imprinted in their mind. You had you solved the problem, but created a bigger one. James 19 says this, so then, James 1, 19 through 20, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to what? Hear. Slow to what? And slow to what? If you do it in that order, that's the order it comes out. But what's generally how we do it? Which one are we swift to first? Wrath. wrath. And when we swift to wrath, what's the next thing that comes out of our mouth? Speaking. And nobody's listening. Mm. Nobody's listening. I've had counseling sessions where I had to shut them down. I said, this is unfruitful. Why? Because nobody's listening. Y'all talking at each other, not to each other. You cannot have conversing without somebody listening. And how do I know that I'm, I'm not conversing properly? If as soon as they finish what they said, you have a reply out of your mouth, you haven't taken time to process what they said, which means you didn't listen to hear, you listened to respond. You had already determined in your heart what you were going to say. And no matter what they said, it did not matter because this is what you feel and I'm not listening to you until you listen to. Anybody ever been there? Helium. You let out hurtful words, and once the pain is there, you can't get it. <coughs> Why are people in marriage conferences but still not working in their marriages? Because offense is deadly in a marriage or relationship. Coupled in couples in offense will end up in a death row if they don't pull out of it. Somebody has to have some sense. Somebody has to say, you know what? I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to take the punch without throwing another one. That means I'm going to let you say that, and it hurt me. But I'm going to be slow to wrath and slow to speak. So maybe one of us can pull out of this death spiral, and one of us can use some words of healing instead of some words of anger. Amen? Amen. Why? Because once somebody is offended, you can end the conversation. And it's not Willie Berry. Pull up Proverbs 18 and 19. Let's read this. What does it say? 
So then Proverbs verse 18 and 19. Proverbs 18 and 19. Proverbs 18 and 19. I, I want them to read that together. What does it say? A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Brother, when she say, oh, that's really how you feel? Oh, really? That's how you feel? Go sit down. Conversation is over. Once he start doing this, and okay, go sit down. Conversation is over. No matter what you say to him, he's not going to listen. No matter what you say to her, they're not going to listen. You cannot win who you offend. Now, the gospel is offensive, no doubt. I've stepped on somebody's toes, if not yours, my own. The gospel is offensive, but I try purposely not to be offensive in my demeanor and my delivery because the gospel is going to do that enough by itself. I don't want you to think I'm angry at you. I'm here to help you, and when I give it to you, I know that if I'm angry, if I'm upset, if I'm talking all outside of my neck and I'm not careful with my words, I've wasted 45 minutes of my life because you're not going to hear anything that I said. Somebody said, well, Pastor, please be mad to me so I don't have to hear this. <laughs> because I want to leave and pretend like I didn't hear this so I can keep acting crazy and popping my neck and cussing people out and slamming doors and yelling at my kids and cussing at them and talking down to them and saying, you stupid just like your dad and your mama. You just ain't going to never listen. It's my house. You're going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. If you don't like it, then you can. Oh, you've done that before, huh? And they'll take it while they're young, but you're going to regret it when you're old. When they have grandkids and you want to see them, but you can't. When, they have, when you get sick and there's nobody to come see you, be careful what you say and what you do. How do I solve this then, Pastor? We finished to get out of here. Everybody said, catch the small foxes. Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, which is the book of love. We may do that one day. Uh, but it gave a principle in one of the verses, and I like it. Let's see what it says. It says, catch us the what? Small foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. What does that mean? It's not the big stuff. It's the little stuff that ends up with the big stuff. When I, when I counsel a couple or well, when I look back even on things I've had to be counseled for, the big stuff is never what it's about. It was about that little small disrespect you gave that you ignored because they didn't say nothing about. And then you did this and you did that, and after a while, it builds up to the point where they just can't take it anymore. That's why I tell couples, it's good for you to have at least one day a week. Get together. One day a week, write down everything that your spouse or your significant other did that was offensive to you. And when you sit down with that person, you hash that stuff out during that meeting. And after that meeting, don't utter another word about it. Whatever else was on your mind, don't bring it up the rest of the week. Enjoy everybody. Enjoy each other the rest of the week. And whatever you offended about, have a systematic time where you can sit down, come together while you in a white mind. Do it over dinner. Nobody's mad over dinner. Go out where you can have fun and you can eat and have a good time and Pop out that list and say, what's your list and what's my list? Well, you did this the other day, and when you did that, it made me feel like this. Don't use the words used. It's accusatory. When this happened, it made me feel this type of way. 
when this happened. It made me feel this type of way. And then you can discuss it in a good place and you can learn how to have healthy conflict. Everybody say healthy conflict. All conflict is not unhealthy. Things have to be addressed. And if you do not address issues when they are small, they will become large. And the vines are not killed by the big thing. They are killed by the small one. She didn't leave you because you cheated. She left you because of the things that led up to you cheating. There are marriages that are saved after that. You know why? Because sometimes people make mistakes. But all the way through, they've been doing good things along the way. And they realize that a person is not the sum total of their mistakes. But when you've already been antagonistic, when you've already been mean and aggressive, it just pushes them over the... I had to see today. Show of hands. Is this helping anybody today? Y'all tired of me? I want to finish this up. Turhan, is this helping you today? Need some help from back here. I just, I just do. I, f- I feel a heaviness. <laughs> Brother Dave laughing. Turn on, I got to say, yes, I'm on camera. <laughs> but we need to learn to catch the small foxes, create systematic ways to deal with conflict in our lives before they wreck our lives. It's impossible to have relationships with anybody, even coworkers, without offense but we need to start making healthy ways to deal with those issues and don't internalize them. Don't just eat them and walk away because you think you're above it and you can't. After a while, you're going to reach your tipping point. And here we see the most humble man in the world, the one that God said is the most humble man in the world, one of the best leaders, has his face on the front of the Supreme Court, and even he had finally had enough. You're not better than Moses. I'm not better than Moses. Oh, Jesus. After we have done number one, which is catch the small foxes. Everybody say catch the small foxes. Catch the small foxes. I have one last point for you today. Three words. After you caught that small fox and you've talked about it, I want y'all to repeat these three words after me. Let, Let it, it go. go. Say it again. Let, Let it, it go. go. You know why most marriages and most... Uh, things in in the way they do because you say what you have to say but you don't say it one time you say it 15 because they didn't acknowledge or act like they heard you you get it more aggressive every time until they find it I heard you the first time let it go you got your point across if they choose not to listen you have no control over that and here's the thing in relationships and this doesn't go for people who are in marriage because people in marriage have to work it out. But if you got friends in your life that keep offending you, you can't do it. This is what I want you to want, want you to do. Repeat after me. If I can't change the people, change the people. Say it again until you get it. If I can't change the people, change the people. I told you two or three times that these little small jokes you're making about me that are sneaky insults. You say it like it's cute, but you really mean it. It's getting on my nerves, and I told you to stop it. And since I can't change you, I'm going to change you. I'm going to put somebody in your place. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I felt that. I learned that a long time ago, Trish. When I can't change the people, I change the people. 
When they don't respect me enough to respect boundaries, I change the people. There's 7 billion people on the planet. If I can't teach you how to respect me, you don't have to learn. But there will be somebody else in your place. Now, if you're married, you pray the promise of God. Go to counseling and work that out. But if you're on the way to getting married and they won't change, change the people. If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> say it one more time so we can get back on. That was, that was free. That wasn't even in the sermon. I just had to give you that. Everybody said, let, let it go. go. That's, some, that's somebody, you know, Brother Bob, somebody already putting that on Facebook right now. They got somebody in mind. Pastor said, if I can't change the people, I'm going to change the people. And I'm changing people in 2024. <laughs> Let's come on back to me. <laughs> See, <laughs> Brother Brown the Razor, she, he did it. I'm talking to the culprit. <laughs> Let it go. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 through 21. Last scripture of the year. What does it say? A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, in Christian worlds all around, this word has been misappropriated. That's why I made sure I read the verse before to put it in proper context, because there are some people who think that you can speak things into existence and you cannot. That scripture says unto the God who speaks those things that are uh, that are not as though they were you, you. You, that, that's not Christianity, that's voodoo. <laughs> that's mysticism. But what you can realize is that your words have consequences. And that's what they're trying to say. Death and life are in the power of the, of, of the tongue. You didn't speak your friend away. You kept being negative and your friend chose to leave. <laughs> you didn't speak, speak negativity on your children. And then they fail. No, you kept telling them they were a failure and they chose to believe it. And they acted like they what? Believed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. How is your mind changed through the what? Words that enter it. We must be careful with our words. Pull up the sermon title again. Has anybody got some helium in your life right now? Are you saying some things to your spouse or your coworkers or your significant others? Or worse off, even to yourself that you need to stop saying. You're not washed up. You're not a failure. Just because you failed doesn't make you a failure. You're a failure when you don't learn from your failures and change your behavior. But everybody in this room has failed and created colossal mistakes. Some of us just have it public and some of us don't. But there's nobody in here different. We all bleed. We all breathe the same oxygen. And we all have messed up sometimes. But what makes you a failure is when you don't learn from it. When you start making excuses for your behavior. Can you imagine how Moses felt to have to climb up the mountain? 
to have listened to God 39 years earlier, to have to put up with hell and cursing and orgies and sex and drugs in his congregation, the people he led, to put up with rebellion in his congregation, to put up all that stuff, deal with them for 39 years and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of it. And God, to bring them to the mountain and say, Moses, we here now. You can stand on the mountain. You're going to look at it, but you're never coming down from the mountain, Moses. This is as far as you can go because you had some helium that you didn't deal with. Some people are married, and they're going to remain married, but their marriage is going to continue to be miserable because they said some things to their spouse that their spouse couldn't let go of. And they existed, but their marriage isn't really thriving because they had helium. Some people have lost the respect of their children. Some of us have. Because instead of being the person in church we profess to be, we curse at them. You should never curse at your children. I'll say it. Stop cursing at your children. You shouldn't even curse at your dog. Why would you curse at your child? That's ignorant. And it's stupid. And the only reason you get away with it is because there's nobody in your circle to tell them that's ignorant and that's stupid. Stop it. Well, that's just how I am. Yeah, you stupid. Stop it. It's helium. And they will resent you. And you'll realize it when they get grown. Because I'll tell you this story and we'll leave. There was a little boy. His mother always told him, sit down. And he wouldn't sit down. He just kept standing up. And she said, look here. You're going to sit down before I knock you out. And he sat down and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside. But I'm standing up in my heart. People convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. Just because you can get compliance on the outside doesn't mean you have them on the inside. And many people have lost their families just because they use force. Instead of learning to talk it out. Now, sometimes you have to do what your children say. This is the rule I said. And that's it. And that's the end of it. But you can say it in a, in a good way. But we abuse people, hurt people, hurt people, and heal people, heal people. We abuse people because we were abused, and that's the way we were raised. You say, well, that's the way I was brought up, and it was good enough for me. You, uh, you love your child, but you only want to give them what you had. You don't want to try to give them something better. So they can grow up in a world without some of the things that you trapped by. Everybody do this. Let your hands loose. Release those negative things. Put healing in them, in, them, in them and release them from your spirit before you release them from your mouth. Amen. Give them to God because he can handle them before you give them to somebody else and destroy something that you can never get back. Why am I telling you this? Because you're going into a brand new year at the end of today. If the Lord lets you live and it's the year of expectation and I expect that everybody that starts with us, if the Lord will allow us to finish together, will be better in 2024 than we were in 2023. Let the balloon go. But let it go to God and not your wife. Let it go to God and not your husband. Let it go to God and not your spouse or your children or the people around you. Yeah, all of us get offended. It's impossible not to have offense, but it's how you 
deal with it. Some of us, before we get on the phone and say, if I can't change the people, I'm going to change the people. Before you get to that Facebook post, some of us need to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I'm sorry. To move our pride to the side. To call up some of our kids and say, I'm sorry. Haley, I'm sorry. All of us have to do it. I don't preach what I don't live by. There's somebody else that needs to pick up the phone and heal what's been broken. You may not be able to get the words back you sent, but at least you can release some words that can heal a little bit better. Who in here needs to release some positive healing in somebody else's life? This altar is waiting for you today.